1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
2: Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade and we return to our archive. and We find ourselves transported in time back to the 17th of September 2014 when the red carpet was rolled out for the gala premiere of the film 20,000 Days on Earth.
0: Mostly I write, tapping and scratching away day and night sometimes. But if I ever stop for long enough to question what I'm actually doing, the why of it, well I couldn't really tell
2: you. I don't know. This musical documentary drama is based around one day in the life of musician, singer, songwriter, author, screenwriter, composer, father and occasional actor, Nick Cave. It was the debut feature film of artists and filmmakers Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard. And I spoke to them about their hopes, ambitions and challenges they faced with this film. Uh, when were you both sort of introduced to Nick Cave's music?
3: Do you know what Ian introduced me to the music? I think Ian got into it at school, but I hadn't heard of him until I met Ian, but we met when I was 20. And he put a song on the first mixtape he ever made for me. So he put um, Slowly Goes the Night from Tender Prey and also um, the ship song from The Good Sun was on there. Was it from The Good Sun? I think it is. (laughs) The ship song, I mean, you know, basically anybody making a mixtape for any girl of alternative kind of desires uh, means should should put the the ship song on it is the the, the number one kind of mixtape song really and i was blown away i was absolutely blown away i mean i thought that the the, the voice singing slowly goes the night was was kind of elvis era you know some mm. so astonishing and uh and and really just got into them that way and we started going to gigs together yeah i
2: mean a good question is who is nick cave
4: wow nick cave <laughs> mini biog um Nick Cave is an Australian musician who I guess is most famous for his work with his band Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Prior to that, there was a band called The Birthday Party. Prior to that, there was a band called The Boys Next Door. Um, More recently, Nick has written two novels now um, and all sorts of other things. I mean, Nick's one of those people that sort of manages to bleed into all sorts of different areas of culture and is involved in lots of very interesting things
2: he's kind of like a musical national treasure one that we've obviously stolen
3: yeah i'm glad we have i mean he is he's really one of those cultural icons that there's so much kind of integrity and progressive attitude in everything that he does you know whether it's aged 50 whatever he starts up a new band grinder man and it's i mean everything is just always driving forward something new something new um and I think that's what we really still get excited about with, with Nick, that you're just never sure what's going to come next. And I guess the thing you're sure about is that it's going it's to have some integrity and it's going to have some, um, I don't know, balls, yeah.
2: <laughs> so the film is the 20,000th the day of his life. And it's, it's, a, it's maybe not a deadly accurate, but it's, it's an incredible day.
4: Yeah, I mean, the day, the day was a device, really. It's a, you know, it's a storytelling device. And for us, what it gave us was a very sort of simple point of return, something that the film could kind of constantly return to, so that as a viewer, you never felt like you were just in some sort of spiraling freefall kind of. I mean, actually, to be totally honest, I'll tell you what it was. Our background is as artists, we've worked together as artists for the last. 20 years or so and there's this kind of terrified look you see in most people's eyes when you say I'm an artist and I'm making a film and you just know that they're imagining something that's kind of crazy and difficult and abstract and hard to understand and kind of willfully sort of psychedelic or something and... Arty. Arty, yeah, that's the that's the word I'm, I'm avoiding arty and... For us, it was so important that we didn't make that kind of film. We wanted to make something that had a kind of very solid narrative structure to it. And the day was kind of the most simple, most elegant device that we could think of to, to hang our story on.
0: I think that the rock star, you've got to be able to see from a distance. It's something that you can draw in one line. And mm-hmm. you can't have them change in there every second week, they're something different because they are got to be godlike. But it's all an invention but it happened early on for me. As a child, I think I had a desperate need to change myself into something else. Mm. I look in the mirror and and not be... I wasn't happy. I used to look at these people on the record cups and aspire to that.
3: I guess one of the good things about coming to this as, as first-timers, first-time filmmakers, um, and coming to it as artists, is we didn't think beyond anything other than we're making a film. We didn't think about what sort of film we were making. We certainly didn't think we were making a documentary. I mean, we knew we were working with a real person, but in a way, truth was the last thing on our minds. You know, we wanted to make something, a compelling story of creativity. I mean, the thing that strikes you the most when you get to know Nick is just how hard he works and how hard he works at keeping that kind of practice of uh, that he has, whether it's screenwriting, book writing score writing or record writing um, progressive and moving forwards and and going to somewhere that he hasn't been before. Um, And and we wanted to do that with the film. It had to kind of occupy the same attitude, that it had to go to somewhere that music film certainly hadn't gone to before.
4: And it's sort of a weird time for us because the film... You know, it's still not out here. I mean, we're you know we're a few weeks away from that happening, but the film premiered at Sundance in January, so it sort of feels like the film isn't out, and it sort of feels like it's been out for the best part of a year, and it's quite quite a um, quite a weird set of emotions. But it was just released in Australia this week, and we're you know getting emails from them every day telling us how it's going, and I think the thing that's been most satisfying for us is that people have have got the intention behind the film. They've understood it. Mm. And, you know, it is a film that I think, before you see it, I think it's a hard film to understand what you're going to see. I think, I hope when you see it, it's actually a very easy film to watch and it's not difficult and it's not complicated. But because it sort of exists in this slightly slippery space between, you know, documentary and not documentary, it sounds like it's going to be challenging. And I Mm. think what's been really satisfying for us is that people have got it they've really understood what we were trying to do
2: was, was he was he very hands-off or what was it sort of his his input to do with this film
4: it was i mean it,
2: <laughs> we're back to that
4: sort of slippery almost everything about this film is kind of the answer is yes and no so we might as well start <laughs> there you know anything you're going to ask me the answer is going to be well yes and no you know to to make a film about someone like nick I think without his cooperation would have been almost impossible. So Nick was, on one level, he was incredibly involved. um, But creatively, he really stepped back and let us make the film that we wanted to make. And the way we tried to kind of use his, you know, to not use his creative skills, abilities, talents um, would be absurd so Mm. the, the, the way we really tried to channel those was into the voiceovers that you hear, there's a series of kind of monologues that you hear Nick speaking throughout the film and they were all written by Nick and he wrote those on he was on tour at the time actually. And as we were editing the film, we'd kind of get to certain points where it would feel like a certain subject was um particularly, you know, resonant in some way, and we'd email Nick and say, Can you write something about the weather or about memory or about the fear of growing old or something like that? And he would start writing and, and we'd go through a kind of editing process and get to get to a, a text that he would then read. So That was his kind of direct creative involvement.
3: He was, yeah, I mean, he was involved all the way through. And Why wouldn't you pick at that brain? You know, it's a good one. Yet he, I think what we appreciated so much is that the thing he was most concerned about was that we were going to get to make the film we wanted to make and that nobody, you know, the the execs and stuff weren't going to stop that. I mean, fortunately, we, you know... The independent British film industry is in, is in a good shape and we had some brilliant people around us who, who, who's kind of, um, Ideals were the same thing, that they wanted us to make the the strongest film we could. And, and so we kind of got to do exactly what we wanted. We shut him out a bit during, whilst he was touring and we were editing, we didn't speak that much. And he didn't see from the end of filming, he didn't see anything until we had a full cut of the film. We We knew we wanted to be able to show him, Something and say, this is what we think it can be. And then he could kind of start to, you know, get his teeth into that. And fortunately, he really liked that first cut. I don't think I've ever been more nervous than I was, though, for the 97 <laughs> minutes watching him watch that first cut. But. <laughs> well, there's
2: also the pressure as well, because, you know, you, you're a big fan of his music, so it's like seeing one of your idols. I mean, the whole process must be quite, quite freaky on some levels.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's something you don't really sort of think about in a way. I mean, we've been we've been really fortunate that we've been able to work with quite a lot of um, particularly musicians that you know i, I have a huge um, fondness for and uh, earlier this year we were doing a project with Scott Walker and you know he's an incredible kind of figure and has sort of loomed large in in my life i think you know you you find a way that you just separate out those things and you know we've we've worked with nick for so many years now that it is kind of like you know, you been working with a friend.
0: Do you remember that gig, the, the Nina Simone gig? Yeah, it was up there. Like I've seen a bunch of gigs that that's one that was like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I've do, seen. You, do you remember before she started playing, she took the chewing gum out of her mouth?
2: Mm.
0: Sort of stuff, yeah. Took the chewing gum out yeah. and just stuck it onto the On piano. <laughs> yeah i have slam. that chewing gun at yeah. home yeah i have that in my what well, you got there i took
2: it yeah obviously the f- the film is about nick cave but there are some amazing characters in it but i wanted to talk about the sort of bromance between him and what warren ellis it's just it's just it's
3: just incredible <laughs> that's the first time i've heard that word used oh beautiful um yeah they are they're like a married couple i mean they are so i i love their relationship they they're like in so many ways they both have pairs of boys so warren's got two sons that are a little uh, there's a little bit of an age gap and uh, nick's got the twins um and and funnily when you watch nick and warren together i often think that i'm kind of watching like they're boys you know there's something very um playful about their relationship very um it's very kind of active and, and fun. You know, they're always, yeah, it's excitable. And and for us, what that offered in terms of the centre of the film is we were so determined that you couldn't listen to Nick for a whole film without getting bored of him. So we had to find a way of um, bringing somebody else's voice into that more so. And, uh, and there's one person we know who, if you sit in a room with him he talks more than anybody else and it's Warren he's the best storyteller a storyteller I know so we thought well uh, that's what we'll do will Nick can go to Warren's for lunch and then Warren will do all the talking gives everybody a break from Nick for a bit and then we're ready for the second half of the film
4: (laughs) I mean I think Nick really truly is one of the great collaborators I think he's someone that understands that process almost better than anyone I mean if you think about kind of you know rock stars and those kind of classic partnerships you know Mick and Keith and these kind of you know normally those partnerships they either kind of burn bright and then die very quickly and you know you think about like Morrissey and Marr or something like that and you kind of know that no one ever really quite lives up to what they had together in their kind of solo careers. Um, Or they last a lifetime, like Mick and Keith. And I think what's been incredible about Nick that I can think of just no real other examples of is someone that's had a a sequence of those kind of strong, powerful Mm. relationships, you know, whether it's Roland Howard back in the days of the birthday party or, you know, with Mick Harvey for many, many years and Blix Bargeld who appears in the film. And, you know, for someone to be able to renew and refresh that kind of creative relationship is kind of incredible. I've never really seen that happen. And for us, collaboration is just such an important thing because it's such a central part of what we, what we do together. I mean, we've worked together since we met at art school. So, you know, literally we know nothing else. It's the only thing we know how to do. And, you know, that's been 20 something years now so um, yeah I think it's part of the reason that we kind of understand Nick and we kind of understand how to work well together because collaboration forces you to externalize you know you have to you have to talk otherwise you're not collaborating
2: I mean, it's not unheard of. There are famous collaborators, that current brothers, spring to mind instantly out of my head, and I know that you know, there's, there's many other sort of um, partnerships. But I mean, how, how how does it how does it work for you to how have you developed your relationship in, in regards to the, the filming and making a project like this?
3: I'm right, and he's usually wrong. Um, I'm louder. The secret,
4: no, the secret is in public to put on a veneer of liking each other. As long as you give off the impression that you're. Um, not arguing in
3: no. it it changes all the time it has to it has to you you get good at you know you become good at different things and and you fall into different relationships with people right like, you know that that who kind of finds it comfortable to work with a certain person for us it's um it rests on a couple of things one is on the ability to to enjoy what you're doing that it's not a it's not that thing in which you disappear into yourself. It's the thing that you can um I mean it takes over your life. It makes, you know, makes it makes having a relationship and um and, and a normal life quite hard because it's really difficult to to ever really want to switch off working. But I'm not going to complain about that. I mean, you know, I love what we do. Um but more than that, I love the egging on there's something about when you get to work with another person um that you can kind of dare each other into things and it makes you bolder and braver and and ambitious and competitive and and all of the things that I think it's hard to kind of self generate as a as an individual um become become kind of quite natural i think as a collaboration
2: that's interesting to pick up on that i mean t- tell me one thing that you were dared into doing then tell tell, tell me how you were pushed a little bit Um,
4: I mean, the whole film was a bit of a dare in some ways, to be quite honest. But um, I mean, there's certainly, you know, there's things that, that happened in the film that I think were technically challenging in a way that I think working alone, those doubts would have really niggled away and there would have been a point where you'd have gone actually, it's going to be easier, it's going to be better, it's going to be less risky if we don't do that. Um, So the final scene you see in the film, we shot from a boat um, at about four in the morning. And it was just, it was technically challenging. You know, there's, there's a lot of kind of factors that you don't necessarily think of, and then you start getting into the detail of it, and you've got you know, tied timetables and you've got (laughs) marine experts saying, well, you know, the weather tonight's not going to, you know, we had a week where every day we were ready to go that night and the weather never went away. And actually, ironically, it it was the very last day of filming that the weather calmed enough to let us get the shot we wanted to get. But, you know, steadying cameras on boats and all sorts of complicated things to deal with. And I think there's lots of points throughout the kind of production process where we'd have gone we save a lot of time and we save a lot of money if we just drop this shot and it's certainly the bit I really remember just kind of pushing each other to sort of stay true to the idea of the shot we wanted to get
3: yeah I you know I think there's something when two people's instincts are telling them the same thing it's really easy to stand by that you know I I do believe in what in that kind of gut response to something and and when both of our ample guts are telling us the same thing, it makes me kind of yeah. think, yeah, great, you know, th- well, we should trust that. That's That feels like something I can kind of hold on to and stand firm with. And I think that, uh, again, I think as an individual, it would you'd be easy talked around, yeah. And it
4: does go both ways. You know, there are points where actually having someone going, you know, look, that is a really stupid idea and we do need to, you know, draw yeah. a line and stop it right now is, you know, can be really useful as well, right? Yeah.
0: Reach out that far. For me, there's a kind of psychodrama that goes on between singular people in the front row that becomes very important in the, in the telling of the, the narratives of the songs. I get a huge amount of energy from... From picking up singular... People and terrifying them. Really? Do you make it your mission to terrify? Well, it's that kind of um, mixture of awe and terror that you can get from one person or a small group of people. That is that is really um, that gives a huge amount of uh, energy to to kind of transform yourself.
2: One of the things I I, I took from the film was, um, and, and I really enjoyed, is you know we live in a world where. People give up t- too much information in regards to being an artist, whether that's music or anything else. We know, we know the minutia of people's lives, and you you seem to be there seems to be this great uh, emphasizing, you know, bringing out the mythology, you know, you know, cr- showing that showing a great artist is 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 very very much a transformative.
4: I mean, for us, it you know, it's a fundamental part of the story. You strip that away, and you're actually stripping away the kind of bleeding heart of the story you're trying to tell. So, for us. You know, we watched a lot of films, a lot of music films in particular, when we were starting to work up ideas for this project. And we learned very, very quickly that between ourselves and Nick, we all had a real distrust of that kind of fly-on-the-wall behind-the-scenes, warts-and-all kind of style of documentary that you get an awful lot of. And I think we've fallen into a very lazy habit, I think, as viewers, of trusting that kind of aesthetic as Mm -hmm. somehow being a shortcut to the truth. Do you know what I mean? If the camera's handheld and grainy and you're running down a corridor and you see you know, Bono washing the dishes and making a cup of tea, that somehow you feel like you've got some kind of revelatory, intimate moment that that tells you something about that person's life and of course it tells you nothing at all it's just you know it's a construct and it's a way of filmmaking the same as any other so we just wanted to strip all of that kind of bullshit aside and just make an interesting beautiful film that acknowledged the myth and i think in parts probably plays up to Mm -hmm. that myth
3: You know, I hugely lament that we live in a culture where, I mean, we're seeing that sort of individualism, that alternative, that quirky is being constructed by the teams of X Factor and it now seems to equate to, you know... A girl in a black outfit playing her own guitar and writing her own song. It's like, God, is that it really? Mm -hmm. Is that alternative now? Is is that we're holding that up as being something different, something unique? I I want the Jimi Hendrixes. I want Ziggy Stardust. I want Robert Plant. I want those mythic, huge, kind of godlike. Um, creatures that that are are individual creations, um, and, you know. I want that kind of oddness and and that that brilliance and that 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 can really only come out of that the sort of psyche of an unbalanced individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I want to see more of that. And so, why wouldn't we make a film that celebrated that? You know, that tried to kind of to keep that intact as much as possible
2: and I haven't mentioned it yet and it's obvious but it's got an incredible soundtrack
4: well you know we had a good uh, <laughs> we had a good team so uh, I mean it's quite you know it's quite handy uh, yeah. having Nick as a subject too um <laughs> but yeah I mean you know it, I think, as we've said it ourselves a few times, that the the week we spent working on that score was actually, for us, probably the most enjoyable week of the entire process because actually our hard work was done by that point. The film had been shot, you know, everything, You know, every fear, every bit of nervousness that you had was kind of gone because we knew we had it and, um, you know, the edit was fairly well advanced by that point. So there was not much for us to do other than kind of, sit back and enjoy the process. And it was just such a great week because Warren and Nick are so... What's the word? Instinctual? That their ability to understand emotion in music is quite exceptional. And to be able to kind of play those emotions literally like you can play an instrument is, you know, what I think only the the very best musicians are capable of doing. It's a real... Um, skill that, that shouldn't be underestimated, and the pair of them are absolutely exceptional at it. So it's just a, you know, as part of that process of, of scoring film, it's just an absolute joy to 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 witness and be a part of.
3: And I really think that they see that what they do when they're scoring something, not as re, not only reinforcing what you're doing as kind of the filmmaker or the editor, that that you, they're also they They're able to bring in kind of counterpoint so that there's a sort of um like the score in place is kind of you know, sets the scene off on a a sort of slightly off-kilter way. For me, it really works with the Blixer scene, that kind of, you know, him and Blixer talking in the car. The sound underneath that is just astonishing, (laughs) and it kind of, it really sets the emotional tone of that scene, not what's being said at all.
2: One one thing I haven't mentioned, which I, which I, I should do, it's actually very funny.
4: Yeah,
3: well, I mean,
4: Nick, you know, he's a very funny person, and you know, time with Nick and with the whole band really is generally a very sort of funny time. But, I mean, I guess it's sort of, it's part of the, you know, it's part of the the price you pay, isn't it, for the kind of, you know, the the mythology Mm. that I think, you know, Nick has probably partly by his own hand and partly, you know, not, has kind of unfortunately got tagged with a few of these things over the years where, you know, he's been seen as... The Black Crow King and, uh, you know, all these horrible phrases you see in old interviews where he's described as, you know, the Dark Lord and a Gothic preacher and all these kind of things. And, you know, of course, at certain points in his career, Nick's totally played up to those things. Mm. But, you know, they are caricatures and they are a creation. And, you know, they're not really a reflection of, of Nick, you know, the Nick we know today. And I think for us, what was really important was that we wanted to make a film that portrayed, both Nick as he is, like, here and now, right now, uh, but also the Nick that we know. And I think probably one of the greatest compliments that we've had on the film was Nick saying to us that he felt that he could recognise himself in the film. And he was saying that, you know, often if he's done a you know, an interview for a big feature in a newspaper or something and maybe he'll read a bit of it, and he says he often doesn't recognise the person that that he's reading. Um, but he felt that in the film he recognised himself. And I certainly recognised the Nick that we know. So, yeah.
0: Can't remember anything at all Flame trees Line the streets Can't remember anything at all Driving my car Down to Geneva
3: We definitely wanted to make this for not just for Nick Cave fans and I think that actually we... we we in a way deliberately kind of set about doing this without them in mind you know they they know how good he is you don't need to tell them you know they're going to come and hopefully they're going to come and see it because it's about a person that they kind of you know, respect and, and I think what was crucial was trying to kind of be able to to make a film about creativity using the person that we thought was the very best example of that you know contemporary example of that somebody who is at the peak of his creativity still pushing himself still oddly doesn't believe that he's actually you know achieved what he's trying to do yet um and and that you know to be able to capture that kind of that drive that speaks to anybody to everybody who has that that creative urge in them you know that bit about them that 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 kind of thinks i could do more i could be better i could i could try harder i should you know i should apply myself and and that's kind of who we made this film for that's it's about that 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 little bit in yourself and and the reason we did that was because when you get to know Nick, that's the bit about him that's the most remarkable, that he is, he's just a truly inspiring person to know. And he's inspiring because of how hard he works. It's not, you know, he's not inspiring because of some divine, God-given, you know, flash of talent. It is because he works hard and he and he sees through his ideas and he, he puts the time in and, and he really kind of labours at it. And, and I think that stands to show that, anybody if you if you have half an idea and you you keep it intact and you see it through you might actually achieve something and 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 in a way the film is just that it's a it's a half-baked tiny idea that we had way back a couple of years ago that we bothered to kind of keep going with and see through
4: kind of I mean you know of course on one level it's a tough sell you know what I mean if you already know that you don't like Nick's music or there's something about him that doesn't interest you it's going to be a tough sell to convince you that you're going to be interested in the film, but I think for us it was still important to try, and I think that's always been kind of at the heart of almost everything we've ever done, really, has been this kind of knowledge that, you know, there's a huge potential to to fail, to fall short, but, you know, the further you aim, the further you get, even if you don't, you know, land exactly where you were aiming for, so... I don't know that the film's going to necessarily convert a whole new fan base to Nick that isn't already there, but I hope it's a film that people that perhaps are not just, you know, died in the wool obsessive mm. fans already will at least check out.
2: My last question... Um- i just want to see if you were looking forward to the barbican show because i mean you know we have talked about the non-fans but i think there'll be an awful lot of fans there because you, you've not only got the, the screening but you've, you've got the um you've got the uh, performance as well i mean it's so
4: exciting for us you know what an incredible place to you know essentially kick off the the uk release of this film i mean i, I can't think of another venue in london that has the sort of you know the weight of of history and everything behind it so you know
3: we've seen some of the most impressive gigs i think in our life so a real first choice for us as to where to stage this um you know we needed we needed something kind of landmark and significant to to launch the film in our home on our home turf. Mm. Can I think of anywhere better? No, no, go, really. But I'm absent. It, even thinking about it is quite frankly freaking me out, so we'll just stop.
0: There's a world I'm creating a world full of monsters and heroes, good guys and bad guys. It's an absurd, crazy, violent world where people rage away and God actually exists.
2: Thanks to Ian and Jane for speaking to me back in 2014. Whether you're a fan of Caves music or not, this film really draws you into its compelling and questioning universe with a songwriter making a fantastic otherworldly guide. It's a really great film. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and themed series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on ACAST, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out.